chapter 17 of the Shakespeare's Tale. So here I go. We pulled up the carewares, and Mr. Hennings and Armin rode forward to talk with the apart, apparent leader of the group, a lanky man wearing a leather jerkin of a constable. The discussion appeared to be a heated one. Finally, the blockade of bodies opened up and let our little troop move on. Chancellor looked no more than cordial than before, however, nor did they disparage. In fact, they walked alongside us as though escorting us. Jimmy Redsaw smiled in a friendly fashion and tried to exchange a few words with one of their number, but the man would not respond. He only stared straight ahead with a scowl on his face. We came to an end, but the chairs marched us on past. We did not even pause until we were all the way through town and into the countryside again. When Mr. Henning signals us to halt, dismounted, and gathered us apprentices and hired men about Why did they not let us stay? demanded Mid Shakespeare. It's a contagion, isn't it? I said. He held up his hands to silence us. Please, give me a chance to tell you. We were preceded, it seems, by an un- by another troop of players. Colonel Brooks men Ned cried Ned. No, apparently they were no legitimate company at all. Only the company of thieves. They passed themselves off as players, of course. They had ill luck, they said, and asked a mayor for money for food and lodging to be to be repaid out of the box with the next day's performance. They paid the innkeeper with promises as well, and went, then left in the morning with all the advance money and without giving a performance, save the one with which they dumped the mayor. Naturally, he is not anxious to be taken in again by us. But we have papers, protested Jack. Did you show them our papers? Of course, but these rogues have papers too. Very official looking and very false. When were they here? Asked Jamie Ritzel. They left just this morning. Then we should not be wasting time, Jamie Ritzel declared, smacking his walking stick impatiently against his palm. We've got to catch up with him. Mr. Hemming smiled wearily. We are not soldiers, Mr. Ritzel, looking to do battle with me. But if we don't overtake them, they'll spoil every town for us before we get there. I realize that, said Mr. Hemmings, a trifle more sharply. But we can assume they will, will stick on the rear smaller towns. Then no one is likely to know the real Pembroke's name.
we'll try our luck on more popular popular places. Jimmy Red Sox shook his head disapprovingly. Avoiding them will solve nothing. I can avoid them now. Nothing they do more harm. Ah, but you see, you're not in charge of this company, Mr. Red Sox, said Mr. Hemings pointedly and walked away. I watched the preceding scene with great discomfort. <coughs> I thought I felt my father's reasoning was sound. I wanted very much to ally myself with him. I was at the same time reluctant to speak out against the show. While we stopped, I got into our small stock of medicinal herbs and prepared for Sam an infusion of little bark, a popular antidote for fever. But he no longer had a fever. He was trembling all over with chills. How are we? How are you? I asked as I covered him with my cloak. Oh, good, sir, he said and laughed shaky. Mr. Shakespeare's answer to fit all questions. He had thy now become a familiar guest among the members of company. I heard what happened, he added. Where will we go now? Please, I expect. He, we should be there in a few hours. I and then we you'd have a proper bed. I'm all right, he murmured. Don't fret about me. Jamie Redsaw had taken advantage and paused to to light his pipe. As I jumped down from the tower, I asked. He asked, "How's your friend? Not as good as I hoped, nor bad as I feared." Softly, so Sam could not hear. I added, "Would that I could examine his legs for red marks. It would give me a better idea of what we are dealing with." Jamie Redsaw puffed his pipe a moment. Whether or not it's the plaguing, I, I. As God's a woolen nose, hose for yet from the play, and I asked him to remove them. I may guess that I'm looking for signs of contagion. I've no wish to alarm him. It may be not, but the but the obvious. He he shows no other symptoms than no pustules. I shook his head. Pray that it does not, for and it does. Every one of us is in danger of being next. Mr. Armin reined his black mare and waited for us on uh, on to come up alongside him. The stretch of the road between Harrow Harrowgate. And Leeds is desolate one," I, he said. "So all hired men would hear. Keep your weapons handy. No one is likely to try to rob a group of this size, but we can't be too careful. I have no weapon," I remind him. "How can you say that?" The he replied in mock surprise. It's the road not full of rocks. He urged his mount 
in the head of physician again. Rocks? said Jamie with a soft eye and said embarrassed. We had a skirmish back in Newbury. I pelted our attachers with stones. You'd think the company would trust me with the sword? I've been taking lessons in skirmish with most a year. Though I managed to sound resentful, I secretly, secretly, I was just as glad that no one expected me to exercise my sword fighting skills, except upon the stage. Saul Palvi noticed had not called his lack of weapon to anyone's attention. I glanced down Jimmy Ritzel's belt, but you've no weapon either. Ah, that's where you're wrong. He shifted his walking stick to his left hand, gripped a carved lion's head in his right, and in one swift sweeping motion, drew forth from the stick of a thin blade two feet or more in length. That's clever, said Ned Shakespeare. Where do you come by that? I want it by the game of Crimea. Will sly I the abraded blade? I should hardly think it a match for a full-length weapon. Nor is it meant to be. It's an element of surprise that makes it effective. So your fair hand at cards, then? Asked Ned. A bit better than fair, I should say. Ned smiled slightly. Shall we test our prowess when we reach our lodgings? Jamie Ritzaw made an eccentric bow. At your service, sir. Presuming what we do, in fact, find lodgings. As afternoon dawned, it began to look as we might not. The sun approached to the horizon, and still there was no adaptation in sight. Only vast stretches of deserted mo- moorland on either side of the highway, dotted with clumps of frews. The only signs that any soul ha- had ever passed this way before us were wheel ruts, a few crumbling horse droppings, and a tilted, weathered stone cross. Besides the road erected ages ago, I suppose, by some religious order to give comfort to weary travelers. Jack fumbled his wallet for a penny and placed it atop the cross. What's that for? asked Ned Shakespeare. Protection, said Jack. Ned laughed and gestured at the bleak treeless landscape around us. From what? Did you really think it's likely that a band of bridges will rise out of the ground and attack us? Jack scoffed. You never know. For once, Jack proved to be right about something. No more than ten minutes had passed when I heard a startled cry of, Ho! from Mr. Armin at the head of the company. I jerked my head at the, that direction. To my astonishment, a dense patch of furrows that lay 
near the road seemed to be opening up, unfolding like some huge drab and rabid bud bursting into bloom. From its center emerged not blossom, but a group of five fierce-looking armed men. One of them held a wheel-look pistol aimed directly at Mr. Arlen's chest. Dismount, ordered the bandit, and the big-bellied fellow with a filthy, pop-marked face. His bushy black hair and beard were tangled and full of fruised twigs. One his leaner but equally grimy confronted spread out, sword drawn to block the road. Though I was taken aback, I was not terrified as I would once have been. I had been with the ruthless falconer when in a night he dispatched or disbowed half a dozen burgams with astonishing speed and skill. Mr. Arman had proven himself even more able with a sword than Falconer. I expected that, with the help of the others, he sh- would make short of these shabby thieves. Sure enough, instead of swinging from his saddle as he had been commanded to, Mr. Arman spurred his horse for reward, at the same time jerking back of the rein so that the animal reared up, front hoofs failing. But the man with the gun, instead of dropping it in panic, calmly took a step backward and fired. The pistol gave a puff of smoke and a loud report. The black mare gave a short sort of shriek and toppled sideways, blood spurting from her neck. Mr. Armand tied tried to throw himself free, but one of the foot but one foot must have caught it it's in its stirrup, for his leg became pinned underneath his falling mount. Despite his bulk, the black-haired man moved swiftly in an instant, and he was straddling the fallen rider, had the blade of the dagger pressed against Mr. Armand's stirrup bolt. Now go log you, he shouted. Dismount and drop your weapons, or watch your friend bathe in his own blood. Our hired men's swords clattered into the stony surface of the road, all except Ned Shakespeare's. He's buffling. Ned whispered to the rest of us. Jamie Redsaw gave him a look of disgust. With one flick of his wall cane stick, he knocked Ned's sword from his grasp. Then, wincing at the pain it caused him, he bent and laid the stick carefully in the ground. Gather them up, the leader instructed his companions. When when they had done so, he lifted the blade from Mr. Armand's throat and stepped away. He meant only to relieve you from your money, he told us, but as you've put me in so much trouble, I believe we'll have the horses as well. Two of his men took hold of the sheriff's mount. The others, too, set out unharnessing the teams of carewares. Oh, guess, I murmured, they'll leave us stranded here. Jamie Redstone nodded grimly. Part of me wanted to urge him to do something to fight back, but I knew that if he had made a move or 
to do so, I would have tried to hold him back. No, now that we had found one another at last, I could not bear to risk losing him. The leader of bandits reloaded his pistol, cocked it, and surveyed us apprentices and hiding man in a moment. Then he stepped forward and pressing, pressed the muzzle of the gun to Sopalvi's head. Which wagon has the money? he demanded. Sopalvi rigged with terror. Tears streamed from his eyes. His chin quivered, but no sound came out. This is the, it's the rear one, growled Will Sly. Thank you, said the brigand, and showed his rotten teeth in a grin. I didn't want any more trouble. I don't like trouble. He's uncocked. He uncocked the pistol, thrust it in his belt, and strode to the back of the nearest carewheel. But as he reached inside to seize one of the trunks, his hands froze in midair. An unacceptable look of distress came over him and pockmarked features. He gave a hoarse cry and took a stumbling step backward, as though his knees had suddenly gone weak. I was mountainly bewildered by the unexpected reaction. Then Sam's hand emerged from within the wagon, and I saw that had alarmed the band itself. Sam's face had a bluish tingle and was blotched with what looked like an open source. There was dark circles about his redded eyes, both flickered the corners in his mouth. Water, he pleaded in desperate, rasping voice. Please, I'm dying of thirst. He reached one of his shaking hands toward the bandit, and I could see that the skin of it was spotted too, with red marks surrounding the blue-black patches. Saints save us, I breathed. I was taking with the plague. So that was chapter 17. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See you, see you later. Bye, guys. Thank you.